Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Before we get started, hit the thumbs up button, hit the subscribe, give us five stars. And when you're done with all that, head over to thebulwark.com and sign up for all of the free stuff we give away. We give away a fabulous morning newsletter by Charlie Sykes every single day for free. I don't even know why we do it. How do we make money on volume? We make it up on volume. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of volume. We got Charlie's great show, Moda. But you, the truth is, we've got so you'll be you'll be emailing us saying, "Please, Mr. Bulwark, stop sending us all this free stuff. We're sick and tired of all the winning." That's true. Okay. Uh, also, housekeeping note: come and hang with us on YouTube tonight at 8 p.m., where we're going to talk about the wonderful. Beautiful, big D energy, Ron DeSantis announcement as he sits down in a Twitter space with Elon Musk. Can you yeah, feel the excitement? I have a lot to say. I do think it's kind of funny that Kamala Harris was able to do a big, gigantic, everybody look at me, thousands of people there launch event. And Ron DeSantis is like, I'll be over on the slightly better version of Rumble. Clubhouse. I'm in, I'm in a clubhouse with, a, with, with an anti-Semitic memer. Audio only. Audio only. <laughs> Sarah, let me go to you first. Again, I feel like we have to say this, make a disclosure on every single one of these things that we do. All of us would prefer that any other human being on the planet than Donald Trump be the Republican nominee. We would probably prefer, of the declared candidates, speaking only for myself, uh, in descending order, Asa Hutchinson, followed by Tim Scott, followed by Nikki Haley. The point is, we'll even take Ron DeSantis, who, who is, in many ways, perhaps almost as dangerous as Trump, but in a couple key ways, probably not quite as dangerous as Trump. And so we'll take any of this. We're not rooting against any of these people. We are simply trying to give you real analysis. Because one of the problems we have right now, especially in anti-anti-Trump world, is they want Ron DeSantis so bad that they won't actually tell you what they really think. And that's not how we work here at The Bulwark. Good for so, us. Sarah, with all that disclaimer out of the way, so you don't have to make it yourself. Oof, that was quite the wind-up. Tell us. It was. I mean, I, I'm just enjoying watching Tim so desperate for a take. I, I'm like, I incentivized <laughs> to talk so slowly right I know, now. That's why I went to just you first. Just to see if I could, if he'll explode with takes <laughs> and get takes all over the screen. Here, I'm only going to say one thing, Tim. One big observation. It's, it's only, it's adjacent to the Musk Twitter announcement. The Musk Twitter announcement coupled with, did you guys watch his launch video? Mm -hmm. The launch video is like him getting ready to take the stage to a fake crowd. And it is voiced, I was listening to it being like, is this voice British? Then I was like, is this a famous like Churchill speech? Like I'm finding myself Googling the language <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, wait, this is like him. Like this is meant to be like the opening thing, but it's not DeSantis's voice and there's no because real crowd. his voice is horrible. So here's what I know. The hack in me knows this as sure as I know anything. They tested an ad with Ron DeSantis voicing his own video, and it tested badly. And they had to go get a voiceover, and they were nervous about the crowds. And, like, I had this whole thing about Ron DeSantis being too online, which is uh, what the Musk thing is. I guess I had sort of been like, no, this guy's a real governor. He won by 20 points. Like, this is not. <laughs> but, like, the idea that he would announce on Twitter with Elon Musk, I just like, I don't know if he realizes 
how old most Republican voters are. Like, the gerontocracy of our voters preclude any idea that they would be sitting on Twitter and waiting for Ron DeSantis's tech announcement. But I'll let Tim go now, but that's my top line. Well, I'm sorry. I have a question for you first, Sarah. Do you think this counts as an in-kind <laughs> contribution? I'm starting to forget all my takes. Some of them are leaking out the back. Sorry, continue. Do, no, does this count as an in-kind contribution? Or because Twitter is most definitely not a media platform, they say all the time, right? We're not, we're not like, uh, you can't hold us to the same legal standards that you hold news sources like the New York Times or CBS News. We're different from that. Uh, and so if they're different from that, is this a contribution then? I love that question. I don't think so, because I don't know the monetary value of it, which I'm not sure you could price, but... It's not $44 billion, that's for sure. It's not. It's not. Uh, so I don't know that it's an in-kind contribution. It's all very weird, though. The idea that Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis... Were Having already endorsed him is now hosting him to make his announcement on his platform. <laughs> It's weird. Musk hasn't endorsed him for 24, though. He did. He did. He in he pre-endorsed him like eight yeah, months ago. It was ago kind of like so. a stray no, tweet. I don't, I don't know if it was an official endorsement. Yeah. Was, I mean, Musk, Musk tweets a lot. He said, I, will, I am supporting Ron DeSantis for president. Here's the thing. Like, my favorite thing about Elon Musk is how he doesn't understand what free speech means. And it does seem perfect that Elon Musk is going to have Ron DeSantis on. They will probably confab about their mutual love of free speech. And both of them are massive restrictors of free speech that they don't like. Okay, I'm done with my takes, Tim. You go. I thought that the problem with the last Twitter regime was that they were biased against a particular ideology. So is this an endorsement? I guess so. No, I don't think so. One of his blue check fanboys uh, tweeted asking if he had support DeSantis in 24, and he replied yes. But we don't know if that context was in the primary or yeah, in the um, general. An economy of words there from Elon Musk, um, which is unusual. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to get back to Elon Musk, and I have big takes about David Sachs, Meatball Sachs, as I like to call him, Meatball Jr., um, who is also in this audio-only Twitter space. I think that that's worth just everybody batting around a little bit. But I, I just on the strategy side of why Ron DeSantis is doing it like this, uh, I think both of you hit on interesting points. Sarah, on the gerontocracy side of things, I had a reporter call me uh, the other day or yesterday and ask, you know, if this might be a smart idea, right? Because Donald Trump dominated the the cable news, the TV battle space with his call-ins and, you know, and he dominated the conversation that way. And maybe DeSantis can can do that for a modern you know, using more modern tools than cable. Now we're eight years on, you know, more fewer people have cable, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it wouldn't be a bad point if Ron DeSantis was a Democrat, uh, but uh, he's a Republican. And, and my point is the median <laughs> Republican primary voter is 65 plus, didn't go to college, and is not engaging in audio only, which I, I've mentioned three times now, Twitter spaces. It's a very, it's very strange. Uh, like it is not reaching the target audience. It is re the audience that it's reaching is the people that he doesn't need, right? Which are the people that already be with him. The college educated, highly online, uber, you know, engaged in politics, Ben Shapiro listening, you know, Chris Rufo fans, you know, who, who, you know, follow this stuff very closely. They, the uh, Twitter space, Twitter would be a native platform for them. But, but, those are already going to be DeSantis's people. The, the people that he needs to get le either never got on Twitter in the first place, barely understood how to use it, just had Donald Trump alerts coming to their phone, you know, have already moved over to truth. 
I mean, obviously we're, you know, um, uh, this is generalizing. There, there may be a handful of people, but it's not the core base that you would want to reach to. So then I guess what's the strategy? It's, oh, we're going to get a lot of buzz for this and other people will talk about it. And, and there's maybe something to be said for that, right? I can see myself in a meeting and I was trying to imagine myself um, in the Ron DeSantis high command room, which gave me the shivers a little bit. Once I started thinking about it, I had to start to wash myself. But I was like, I could see myself being initially saying, no, this is a bad idea. And then hearing some other jabroni try to convince me it's a good idea because of the impressions. And and we're going to get a lot of attention on this. And we'll be able to say that we got three million simultaneous listeners. And Donald Trump right. only had a thousand people at Mar-a-Lago exactly. when he announced. Right. And there's something to that, right? Uh, he would be able to get more attention for this than like if he did a midday Tallahassee announcement where he, you know, talked about the Florida miracle and the war on woke and just gave his normal stump speech. Like this will be more, you'll get more interest on this than that. That's true. But like, is it going to be good interest? That's what we all have to find out tonight on our live stream. Tonight being Wednesday, by the way, for people listening on Thursday, 8 Eastern, uh, tune in for our live stream. We'll, we'll, we'll see what he says. But my sense is that he's going to be beta. Right? I, I, do we need to listen to this? It's like, do you really want to put Ron DeSantis in a stream with edgelord Elon Musk? Where, you know, Elon Musk is the, uh, is, no matter how good Ron DeSantis' performance is, no matter how effusive Elon is in praise, Elon's kind of the alpha. You know, where Elon will assuredly say something you don't like. And there's all the baggage. He did the anti-Semitic tweets recently. He's done some very weird sexist tweets recently. He did some Russia friendly tweets recently. So like you're now carrying all that baggage with you. That seems uh, to me really stupid. Lastly, just before we get into the Elon side of this, the, the crowd side of this, which you mentioned, JVL, Amanda in our Slack made this point. I think it's really smart. I think that probably what this comes down to for them is they're like, we can't draw that. I mean, we can draw a kind of big crowd. I mean, even Jeb. So Jeb, we drew a very respectable crowd for the announcement. It was our biggest crowd. I'm going from memory. I think it was probably like 4,000 people, maybe five. We filled, we filled like a small gym. It was like a, you know, like a, a, a D3 college gym at, at, in Kendall, Miami, right? And so, you know, it wasn't like the Hurricanes gym. It was another basketball team, college, small college basketball team's gym. We filled it. It felt full. It was nice. DeSantis could have done something like that, right? But that's still, then you start to get into the dick size comparisons, right? With Trump and like, well, I could fill a football stadium and like, you seem really weak. And this uh, allows him to avoid that. So I, I think that the attention, you know, the argument that he could get more attention for this and the crowd size element were the real drivers, but it just, it feels, it feels beta. I want you to keep talking because I feel bad for making you wait so long, but I also want to hear some Musk thoughts from you. Well, the Musk thing. So David Sachs is the other guy that is in the, that is, I guess, moderating this space. And he is a, he's a bundler out of, out of Silicon Valley. Now I've been monitoring this asshole for a while. And I think that it's important to understand David Sachs to really get what's happening here. Isn't he the one who was told that he wasn't needed at the Twitter meeting famously? I believe so. I believe he was uh, He was the one that Elon yeah. was like, you know, you have no expertise here. This is a technical meeting. You wouldn't understand what's going on here. Correct. Basically, he is Chris Christie to Elon's exactly. Trump. So, and, and he's Chris Christie also to Peter Thiel's Trump. So David <laughs> Sachs is the Chris Christie to two alphas. So, so him and Thiel were friends in college. They co-wrote... 
Teal's book together, which has a lot of like weird, th- you know, race, you know, things that are kind of like quasi racist, like multiculturalism is bad and we shouldn't be encouraging diversity and like things like this. So he wrote this book with Teal. He's one of the big, these guys who I were really one of the core reasons I had to leave the Bay Area, which are the biggest assholes in the world. The people who are like the sixth employee at early, you know, startup companies, you know, were like, they were, they didn't do anything special. Like he was the COO, like he was like the HR, head HR man for PayPal. And it was like Elon and Peter Thiel's like baby, like it was there. They were the smart ones who deserved the, the money on the back end. But since he was the sixth employee, he had a bunch of shares and he becomes like a billionaire, right? So capitalism, three cheers. Um, so Dave, uh, yay, yay. Capital. he also founded something called Yammer, which I guess he sold, which I've never really heard of. Um, but, uh, maybe, maybe it was a good product. I don't know. So anyway, so he was Peter Thiel's kind of Robin to Thiel's Batman. And then, and then now has kind of glommed onto Musk and he's got this podcast called the all in podcast, which is like for these contrarian right wing Silicon Valley guys. So there's a token lib and and at Jason on Twitter, who's awful, and Shamath, um, uh, who, who some of you people might know. So I've been monitoring this thing for a while because it's really influential in a certain space in, the, in, in tech. And these guys initially positioned themselves, just like Elon did, as like, we're center-right. The woke stuff has gone a little too far in Silicon Valley. Like, we're going to be a ballast against that. And, and one of my friends, um, actually my brother and a friend, suggested I listen. So like, you might like this. They're, these guys are a little more conservative than you, but they're, they're moderate. They're in the middle. And, you know, maybe it's an interesting. Okay, so I started listening to them. I, it's full red pill. Like it's full reactionary. Like like to, to the like these guys are moderate in the opposite way that we are. Right? It's like, um, oh, you know, the we shouldn't be in the war in Ukraine. Right? Like totally, you know, reactionary on that stuff. Um, you know, completely reactionary on immigration. Right? But like, but oh, I'm against Paul Ryanomics. You know, it's like it's the it's the inverse. I've gone culturally right you know, to push back against the cultural left but on the economic stuff. Like, okay, maybe. All right. So that, that's where like these guys have gone. And, and, and I think that that is the most telling thing about this, that a lot of people aren't going to appreciate about the DeSantis announcements. They're going to focus on the Elon piece. They're going to focus on, it's kind of weird that it's a Twitter space, but having the, his now inner, clearly his inner circle are the people that he wants to launch his campaign with being these contrarian anti-neocon anti-woke, you know, culture war, you know, types like me, that is the core of what, of the kind of campaign that DeSantis is going to run. And, and, and I think that there's going to be a lot of, you know, people in our national review friend, our wall street journal friends that want to like deny this and kind of act like, Oh, he's just, he's playing footsie with that. But, but this is the core of, of what this campaign is going to be about. I'm deeply skeptical that the Republican base like cares about, you know, all the things that these rich contrarian white assholes care about, you know, ESG and DEI and digital currency. I, all that makes sense. When I wrote last month about how it's kind of weird that DeSantis' stump speech includes ESG and digital currency stuff. I, you know, like I, when I wrote that about the, to your point, Sarah, about the being very online, I, I was like, what is, what is behind this? And what I initially thought it was his staff are like super online weirdos who are pushing it. But increasingly, I think, no, like this is his circle now. He's getting texts from these Silicon Valley contrarians who really care about the fact that in their social circles, they think the liberals have gone too woke and crazy and now we need to push back on this and that is influencing DeSantis to go down this rabbit hole which includes the Disney fight that all of which all all of which feels just you know not 
hostile to what, and I'm not sure what you think about this, Sarah, not hostile to what the focus group folks care about, but like a little bit, like two steps away from their core interests, right? Like they also agree that woke is bad. And they, once you explain what DEI is to them, they don't like it, but like, it, it feels a little alien. Like, I don't think they want a Silicon Valley contrarian billionaire bros podcasts concerns are not the same as the average concerns of a Greenville, you know, MAGA Republican. So what you're saying is that we are like three weeks away from having Mencius mold bug and bronze age pervert as like informal advisors to it the DeSantis like campaign. Yeah. Basically. Right. Yeah. And so this brings me to you, Sarah. What are the people saying? So first, I just want to before I tell you this, because I do have some uh, I got some breaking news just for you guys. Actually, it's not breaking news, but uh, but I do have some good focus group stuff. The thing about Elon and DeSantis and why I think it's weird, I actually, I didn't quite realize, I hadn't clocked the idea that the Twitter space is just audio, audio only. Like, they're not even going to show their faces. Okay, so, so Elon and Peter Thiel and DeSantis all have something in common, which is, like, they're not great at eye contact or being with other humans or talking to them in ways point. that are normal. I've done so many focus groups, and the way that people identify with Trump, and you're like, but I'm sorry, how do you identify with this guy with a gold toilet? And it's because Donald Trump talks in ways they can understand, makes politics accessible to them. He's repetitive in the way that he talks, like hammers and points and people can get it. They can like follow him. And like he feels normal and real to them in a way that I think it took all of us a long time to like understand how that is because we see like a big distance, but sort of makes sense as you've gone along. Like he was a celebrity, so they just feel like they know him. He was in their living rooms for a long time. DeSantis and like all of these guys who are in this weird Silicon Valley bubble, like their human instincts are terrible. This is his signature problem right now is people are like, you like short circuit as a human being. Like you don't know how to talk to people. You seem fake and your laugh is off and you seem weird. So for him to lean into this weird crowd to me is for him doubling down on the thing that is not working for him right now. It's probably what makes these Silicon Valley guys good. Like, why? What made them brilliant, Good, and what made right. them billions? Right? Is that they're a little, they're a little strange. Like, you know, conventional thinkers don't come up with uh, like PayPal ideas. So that probably, maybe not David Sachs, but Peter Thiel and Elon. It probably was like, like their personality disorder. I contributed to them thinking they could do this thing, you know, that that other people who aren't like egomaniacal wouldn't have thought about. Right? So there's something to be said for that, but that doesn't translate right. as well to politics. It doesn't, although you could see a world in which DeSantis is actually something of a competent executive. Sure. His story from Florida is, like, warped, I actually think, by now his national profile. But, like, the reason, like, if a Jeb Bush would tell you they like Ron DeSantis is, in part, he took the environmental stuff really seriously in the state. He's been quite good. And, like, before his profile got so national in, like, this yeah. legislative session, like, his last legislative session was quite good. And, like, the way that he handled COVID, like, we don't like the yelling at reporters, but he did just make a decision. I'm going to open things up and I'm going to leave them open. And so, and people liked that. Like, that is why the he vaccine was, stuff was also really bad. The vaccine stuff was bad, although he was good on it at first. Right. It was like he moved on that. Right. Because he's a different version. Now, it's like as his profile got more nationalized, he felt the need to be an anti-vaxxer. But in the I don't beginning, because so, remember, it was the cruise ships. It was pretty early. He was bad on vax. I don't. Are you the sure? Cruise ships were trying to require vaccines. And he was like, no. 
you can't require vaccines to get on cruise ships. That was like mm. really early before we even really knew, you know, what we were trying to figure out with the details. So I, I think he was bad on vax pretty early. I, I, I agree with all of your other points. My point is that the idea that he is like a competent executive, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a national profile where like people aren't digging in or feeling the impact of what you do every day, your decisions. And so they kind of need to like you. So I think it's weird that he has decided to go with this. Yeah. That, that where they, they like are incapable of having good human instincts. So I went and had someone on my team pull all of the focus groups where we did just straight two-time Trump voters. Now, we do people across the political spectrum. We do screens where we ask people if they have favor high favorability of Trump or low favorability of Trump. These, But we've done a whole bunch since the last election, 22, since November, that are just straight two-time Trump voters. And... From 11-29, so November 29th in 2022, to immediately before the Trump indictments, in the groups when we asked head-to-head, -head, who do you want, Trump or DeSantis, 44 people wanted DeSantis and 26 people wanted Trump. That was November 29th till when? Right before the Trump indictment. Okay. Right before he gets indicted. Okay? So from the Trump indictment to now, 32 people versus nine went for Trump. So 32 people went Trump, nine went DeSantis. And I don't usually, it's not good usually to take your qual and like make it quant because it's not the same thing as a poll. But like we've done enough of these. Not enough. Right? Like it's not, this is like 70 people in the first sample, right? Where you've got 44 people for DeSantis and 26 for Trump. After the indictment, you've got 32 for Trump, nine for DeSantis. The exact same kinds of groups. We're not, they're just the same kinds of just normal two-time Trump voters. That reversal is stunning. And there's going to be a lot of conversation today and in the next couple of days about why Ron DeSantis's fortunes appear to have reversed. And uh, a lot of people are going to focus on Trump and the indictment, like accelerating Trump's profile. And that's part of it. But I actually think it has a lot more to do with the fact that people started to see DeSantis. So right around Trump's indictment, two things happened. One, his Ukraine deal where he had to walk it back because the establishment got mad at him. And then his comment around Stormy Daniels when MAGA got mad at him and he had to reverse that and say, no, 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 I'm going to do an extradition for you. I won't extradite him from Florida. Uh, and Trump was like, screw you. And Trump started attacking him, right? Those things all happened. And also Jeb Bush endorsed him. Um, but like all of the, those things started to happen. And like, you just see him drop like a stone. And I was listening to the focus group. We just did one a couple days ago. And they're mad about the indictment of Trump. They're on his side about that. They just like the Disney thing is like, there's some people are like, yeah, Disney sucks. Like most people are kind of like, what? I don't like why. And it's just, it's not, it's not the thing. Like that is not the thing that is going to get everybody like on Ron DeSantis's side. And these people are not on Twitter. I just, this is the thing about the focus groups. Again, always they keep me grounded and like, some people are on Twitter. Some people say I don't like the tweets. Some people say I don't like the tweets and they've never actually seen the tweets. They just know right. that the tweets are bad or they see them on TV or in some other medium. But like these people are not on Twitter, but they are people who vote in primaries and in general elections. One sentence on the Disney thing because it relates to the sex point. And again, like this idea about this concern about woke capital, like there is a legitimate niche group of college educated high-income Republicans who care about this deeply, right? Who are like, I, 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 the boards are woke. They're making us invest in green companies, blah, blah, blah. 
and the the David Sachs, Elon Musk guys are at the center of this. And and I, and my understanding from our, our friend Ron Filkowski and Peter Source, who's an awesome reporter, is that in Florida there's also some personal Disney stuff happening. But like that stuff is tied. That like DeSantis thought that this Disney thing was going to be a winner because that the MAGA base is upset about woke capital. And it's like, eh, it's a specific slice of it that really cares about this. And I'm sure if you ask in the focus groups, are you mad that companies are woke? People would be like, yeah, sure, I'm mad that companies are woke. Like, like yeah. they're, I, I, It's not like he's going against them. But is their core concern boardroom fights, you know, and and investment portfolios? You know what I mean? Like maybe if he had leaned into like the target display, right? Like there, there's this like story just yesterday that like in a lot of red areas, Target has had to take down their pride display, not really because they're anti-pride, not because they had changed their mind, but because like they're worried about the safety of their employees, like things have gotten hot. Like that's in the face of these voters. They're just worried that their customers might uh, violently assault their employees. Perfectly, yeah, perfectly normal, normal for business. That's right. Uh, hey, um, nothing to worry about here. Just like Republican politicians worried about their voters hurting them. And I'm sure the same people that are mad about BLM are really mad about this. But the point is that is like at least in their face. You know, that like maybe the MAGA voters are like, yeah, it does annoy me that there's like trans stuff when I walk into the store, right? Okay, but but that's different than saying, oh, I'm mad about these corporate, you know, like fights that they, they engage in. And so the combination of like him getting kind of baited into this by the David Sachs world and then getting slapped around by Disney isn't maybe the number one thing that has caused his numbers to go down, but it's it's all related. It's made him seem weak. It's a little weird. It's a little out of touch. Like it, it's it's a piece of, of of all the other of all the other elements. There is a simple explanation for all of this, which is that DeSantis has decided that he's going to position himself as a demagogue, and that is, I mean, his campaign is I I am a demagogue who is on your side against the people who you hate. Trump is also a demagogue, but Trump is a lot better at it than DeSantis is. Yeah, and I was going to say. DeSantis is like a simulacrum of a demagogue. Like he's like an imitation, like a pale shadow of a demagogue. Like, I think this is how a demagogue acts with this accordion hands. Yeah. I mean, look, Trump sees the Disney thing for what it is, which is right. He's going to demagogue then DeSantis saying, oh, look, you're costing all these jobs. And I think that that is more likely to resonate with voters than like DeSantis is. I'm mad at them because they have gay characters in crappy movies. And the, the Silicon Valley Bank, right? The failure when DeSantis decides he's going to demagogue that by talking about, you know, it's the their woke ESG stuff where Trump then looks at it and is like, yeah, we're going to have a run on the banks and the entire system is going to collapse and we're all going to be poor. It's just a much more effective thing. I think Trump being stupid helps him here. DeSantis isn't stupid. He went to Harvard and Yale and he was on a baseball scholarship. So, you know, maybe not the top of his class, but um, but he's not an idiot. DeSantis is smart. People that talk to him think he's smart, right? Like Trump's more like New York Post kind of like reading level. You know, even though he kind of has his like weird Trump affect, like like the words that he uses is are, are more, you know, in line with, with what Republican voters are. I, I will say this, but we've been dogging all the DeSantis stuff and I stand by all of it. The thing that worries me about all this is there is this desire, particularly among the pundit class and everybody, to be like, oh, because he seems so weak, that's over. Like, oh, it's already, it was over before it started. Like, it might be over before it started. But I, I, it is important to go back to the Biden lesson. JVL was the only person that stuck with Joe Biden besides his campaign all the way through, you know, him finishing sixth place in New Hampshire. Like, sometimes things fall in your lap. And, like, DeSantis, like, remains 
like well positioned for this to fall in his lap, like against his against all, you know, strategic imperatives, right? Like that just happens in politics sometimes. Politics is not chess. Like like you know, it's not always the person that is the best player that wins. And so I, I just I think it's worth saying that like his positioning is like a little off, two steps off, uh, and it's and it's worth analyzing that. But but two steps off might be enough because everybody else in the race's position is like eight steps off, right? Like they're are, are, are not even they're not even on the field, right? And, and you know, I, like things we might get to, to to January and 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 this the same reason why DeSantis was doing well last December might be relevant this December when people are just like I just I just want to win, and that is I think where as brings back to that is why this ana- the analysis of his style. And, and all that is, is so important because he's got to seem like he can win and he kind of doesn't now. So I, I did a deep dive on this for the triad, which is my newsletter, which is going to come out on Wednesday. You should go to thebulwark.com and sign up to get it. It's quite it good. good. Sarah reads it 40% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. And sometimes to get the third one, you got to be a Bulwark Plus subscriber. And I, it's the best $8 I spend Except for, I mean, I guess there are a couple other things. Well, maybe not yeah, the it's best close. $8, it's but it's t- a very it's good $8. Dollars. Here's the thing. So I went back and actually pulled the data for goal, everything going back to 2000. Trump's position is so much stronger than any other front runner during that time. Hillary Clinton. Remember how Hillary Clinton in Even Hillary Obama? Even Hillary Obama. At this point in the race, Hillary's lead was between 14 and 20 points. The biggest her lead ever got it was in September and it was in one or two polls where she popped a 30, one or two polls. The average of Trump's lead right now is 36. And the other thing that happened is that her lead was against Obama, who slowly chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, and then broke through. Obama never fell back, right? I mean, this is, and the fallback is important because what it means is that voters have taken a hard look at the candidate, right? A lot of times what you're, what you're looking at he is- He fell back you're after he'd for, already won Iowa. He fell back briefly after he'd Right, won briefly. Iowa. But even then, in the national polls, yeah. like they're right there. You know, he didn't lose uh, 40% of his support, which is what DeSantis has done over the last you know, three months here. And, you know, that, that a lot of politics is struggling to get a first look from voters, right? Like Tim Scott, Nikki Haley are dying just to be looked at. And DeSantis achieved that. And the problem is, and that's good for him. The problem is that once voters saw it, a fair number of them were like, yeah, no thanks. Right. And so now he's got to earn a second look. And you look at it and you say, well, well why would a second look work for him? And historically, when this is, has worked out for people, like John McCain, John McCain got his second look in 2008. Why? Because he based his entire campaign around the idea that George W. Bush should use, uh, should follow David Petraeus's plan for a surge in Iraq. Nobody else was on this. McCain was the one who was banging this drum, both on the campaign trail and in Washington, where he was sort of betting his candidacy on the wisdom of this. Uh, what is that version for DeSantis, Right. Biden did this. Biden got a second look. But what was it? It wasn't so much an issue like McCain. It was a specific slice of the electorate. It was black voters, right? Like black voters basically said, I like, does DeSantis have that? And it's like, I guess college educated whites, but they they don't play as big of a role in the Republican primary as black voters do in the Democratic primary. I really agree with this. So it's not that Ron DeSantis, I think, explodes in popularity. I don't think that's the scenario. I think that there is, you hit Iowa which is a good state for Ron DeSantis, right? And the, like 
None of this matters till the voting starts. And you have a caucus, also good for DeSantis. And DeSantis pulls out, Trump's polling nationally, let's say 20 points ahead going into the election. But DeSantis pulls out a win. Okay, well, now this is interesting. And then you go into New Hampshire and Trump keeps it super close. They're like kind of neck and neck. But DeSantis is hanging in there. And then- you go to the South. Well, yeah, the problem is, is then you hit South Carolina. And, but, but again, I don't know what, what do Nikki and, do they cut a deal? Nikki and Scott for VP there. Like, how does that break? I will say going into Nevada, I think that's Trump's. That's what catapulted Trump into Super Tuesday the last time is coming out of Nevada. Like he, he was back and forth in the early states and then Nevada, he just crushed and bounced. Here's the thing though. So I think that could happen again pretty easily. I actually see many more paths for Trump than I do DeSantis, but I also do just see with all the indictments, Trump being Trump, like who knows what might just break right around then where people sort of say, I'm going for the younger, more electable guy. Right. But you need exogenous events yeah. is the point, right? As, as Tim says, you're the understudy and you just got to wait and see if it falls apart. To be honest, what this race really feels like to me, I'll just spoil the newsletter since you won't read it anyway, Sarah. It feels much more like the Gore versus Bill Bradley. Right. And Bill Bradley made it a race, sort of. Right. Yep. Bill Bradley, you know, was down by 35 points and, you know, it was like 70, 30 or something. And then he came back to to push Gore in Iowa and put a scare into him and Al Gore. Had to, right. So Ron DeSantis prevents this from being a coronation because absent DeSantis, this is a coronation. Right. I mean, maybe maybe the state chairs just say we're going to do this by acclamation. We don't even need to vote. And so there will be some horse racing. And maybe DeSantis, you know, maybe Trump falls apart and DeSantis can regather momentum or or maybe DeSantis himself implodes. Who knows? But but the point is, we've got like three different pathways here, each of which is probably about as likely as the other. It's interesting you said the Hillary thing, because I, I didn't I'd haven't come back and looked and I compared the, the bull case for DeSantis is that he's Obama v. Hillary, right? That that she's strong, that like has these underlying weaknesses and. But, but I didn't realize that the lead never got that that large. No. I thought it was closer. Also, Obama was a generational political talent. And well, yeah, I was just going to say. Not, right? right? This is right. another problem with that with that analogy. This is the problem, that none of these candidates are particular. Like, I was watching Tim Scott have his opening conversation, and he's sort of figured out how to handle the Trump question, right? Which is, by the way, one of Trump's built-in structural advantages is the way that everybody's going to ask each of the candidates about Trump all the time. But when he got asked it, he was like, I'm here. I'm not here to talk about another candidate. I'm here to make my optimistic pitch. Like, okay, that's how he went around Trump fine. But his whole talk is boring as all get out. And it's canned. And it looks like he's been rehearsing this in the mirror for a long time. And it just sucks. <laughs> like, it's not good. And like, I like T Tim Scott. Take him any day, twice on Sunday, over most of the field. The interview, so we did Bradley Whitford this week for the next Sunday show. We just taped it. And like his thing was about how the most unrealistic thing about the West Wing was that we had to make the Republicans too nice. You know, because we don't want to turn off Republican viewers. And like we couldn't have a Trump or Palin-esque Republican. But Tim Scott would have been a great TV Republican, right? Like he's generic in that sense. The thing that bugs yeah. me, though, to your, that you said that, because I, I just we haven't spent a ton of time. We spent about as much time on Tim Scott as his campaign for vice president deserves, I guess. But like I hate that everyone lets him off the hook with that answer, actually. Uh, it's like he's losing yeah. to Donald Trump by 55 points, 55, 54, excuse me, in the RCB average. He's 1.8 Trump is 56.3, okay? <laughs> 56.3 to 1.8.
You cannot go into a race where you're at 1.8 and someone else at 56.3 and people ask you about that 56.3 person and, and you're like, I chastise you, media, for caring about the inter, you know, the, the you just won a Republican food fight and you don't want to care about the major. It's like, no, you're entering a campaign where there's already a person that has 56% support. You have won. What is your argument for why people should move off him onto you? Like, there's no other case in the world where, you know, somebody would enter into a competition and be just getting absolutely slaughtered and get away with the, well, I'm going to stand, I'm just going to talk about optimism and cheeriness. And, and everybody looks at it, you're, like, you're an insane person. Like, that's, that's insane. Like, this is, we're in a competition here. That sounds nice. And I'm sure that you're 1.8% of the Republican primary voters like that. And I have respect for those people, but like, it's absurd. It's absurd. It also sounds like politics as usual. It sounds like the old politics. Yeah. And that's not what Republican voters want. Trump's phony authenticity is not phony, if that makes sense, right? I mean, like he just says the things that come to his mind, whether they're true or not. And he is unscripted and he, that stuff is gold. It's cold. You you see this all the time with Sarah, don't you? Talking to voter like they they want someone who is authentically themselves, right? Uh, yeah, and they can sniff out the phonies. And also, it's not just that authentically themselves. Like Trump changed the standard of behavior in all kinds of ways. Obviously, like now, sexual assault is okay, and being horrible and being racist, all those things are unfortunately okay. or fortunately, unfortunately or fortunately. <laughs> but he also changed the game in terms of like. How loose you need to be like you are you going to give me a 70 minute stump speech because I'm going to tap out. I don't care. You know, I want to see the town hall where you're running over the pretty young media person who's a stand in for all the fake phony corporate media that I hate. And like, you know, they just they want the show. And so the answer that that Tim Scott gave to me isn't like necessarily it's not the answer. It's like in his in his hands, that answer is sort of a pathetic, mealy mouth political answer. Now, this is what I keep sort of saying is like, there is a lane to consolidate people who want to move on from Trump. That's a real, not just lane, that's a real like chunk of the party. But like somebody has to come seize it yeah. and seize it by being like, why would we talk about Trump? I don't, stop asking me about Trump. Trump is, Trump is yesterday's news. And let me tell you what. This guy changed the game for our party in great ways, but he's not able to deliver. And he lost the last election. I mean, like, I know what we can all, like, then pick apart. Chris Sununu, right? Chris Sununu keeps making noises that he'll be that guy. Yeah, and I would love to see it. Like, I I, I don't know if you guys saw this just while we were on, and I'm sorry that I did look at my phone. Um, Apology but it not was, accepted, uh, Nate actually. Silver. Yeah, sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but Nate Silver tweeted something like, I'm surprised by how mean these never-Trumpers are being to every candidate other than Trump. Which, of course, is being quote tweeted by a bunch of people who are like, well, this is just their grift. Nate is getting red pilled so hard. Yeah, no, he is. He's he's part of this whole like socially incapable to online kind of person. What if the reason that we don't like these candidates? So like I do like Tim Scott on paper and concept. Part of my I am so frustrated that none of them are good enough to run a campaign to defeat Trump. Like I would root for Ron DeSantis if Ron DeSantis was running a campaign that was anywhere close to something that could actually defeat Trump. And yesterday I tweeted something about like, I don't understand Ron DeSantis' strategy over a clip of me talking about like, there's this available chunk of the party and 
for some reason, Ron DeSantis has decided instead of going and getting the people who want to move on and then building out a coalition with sort of the maybe Trumpers, right? There's the move on Trumpers. There's the maybe Trumpers. Like, that's your coalition you got to go get. He's like wrestling Trump for his death cult. And like that 30%. And I don't understand why. Uh, but of course, the anti-antis grabbed it. And they were like, yeah, of course you wouldn't understand. You know, never Trumper. You just think that we should run like Liz Cheney. I'm yeah. sorry, Sebastian put this tweet in and I'm fucking, and I'm off the deep end. I, like my blood pressure just skyrocketed. Remains pretty amazing to me how disdainfully the never Trump crew treats Republican candidates other than Trump. Is it amazing? Is it, I, is it amazing that we would, dis, that people who are never Trump it's right there in the name. Never Trump would would have disdain for people that lick Trump's balls every time they're asked about him. Like, is that what? What's amazing about yeah. that? What's amazing about that? If somebody, if there's a candidate that said Trump was bad, we would like them because we don't like Trump. It's right there in the name. Never Trump. And like, they want us to be like, oh, I want to excuse Tim Scott, who said that it's not Trump's fault that January 6th happened because he's nice and he's like one of these old kind of Republicans that you should like. And oh, you should excuse, you know, Chris Christie, who went and like fetched Donald Trump's sandwiches for him and like, oh, and, and uh, did Trump apology even after Trump gave him COVID. And it's like, why? Why, why, for eight years, all these guys have done is be Trump little butt boys. And, and, and now it's like our obligation to, to try to shine them up. Fuck you. Yeah. There's, there's a category error here though, which Nate is, is touching on, but which is very real in anti-Trump circles, which is this assumption and belief that people who do politics for a living should talk about what they want and not what they think or what they That's see. Great point. Right. And what what as I said at the very beginning, what I want is for Asa Hutchinson or Tim Scott or any of these fucking guys to win the nomination. My job as I see it, and I think your job as you see it, are to to try to express the analysis of the world that we see around us, not to run interference and do propaganda in order to somehow play a triple bank shot. Because if we can just fool an extra, you know, 500,000 people, then that will help run to say, but that's not our job. Our job is to, to see the world around it as it actually is and explain it to you, the people. And, uh, I'm sorry, these people are all doing a very bad job of running for president as, as reflected in the polls. And the idea that you're, you're supposed to just pretend that like everything's great because that's the that's the the mission or something. I'm sorry. That's not. Look, I, I love Joe Biden. Love me some Joe Biden. Uh, I don't go around pretending everything is great with Joe Biden. When things are bad with Joe Biden, I'm like, oh, this is but really I also kind of don't a problem disdain here, right? Joe Biden. Is, you know why? Because Joe Biden was the person that stopped Donald Trump from ending our democracy. That's why I don't disdain Joe Biden because Joe Biden says what he thinks about Donald Trump. Would I do I wish that somebody that, you know, had more classically liberal values, had a political career, would say what they thought about Donald Trump too? I do. I do wish that. But I but there there aren't any except Mitt. I love you Mitt. This is going to make Sarah mad. I disdain Chris Sununu. And here's why I disdain Chris Sununu. Chris Sununu when asked about the the prospect of Donald Trump becoming president, his stock answer is Donald Trump won't be the Republican nominee. It isn't going to happen. He's winning by 30 points. And you know what? That's a fucking lie. 
That's a fucking lie. Chris Sununu doesn't know that. Nobody knows that. And also, you know, all signs point to probably, right? And I disdain the people who are interested in lying about this in order to play some triple bank shot or preserve their own viability or make the, just tell the truth. That's that. I just don't see any other, right? Just tell the truth. That doesn't make me mad. In fact, I, I think I've talked about this before. I, I, nothing has made me angrier than Chris Sununu answering the question of, will you support Donald Trump if he's the nominee? By saying yes, because that is disqualifying judgment. And this goes to answer sort of Nate Silver's question as well, which is, yeah, I, I'm not going to use the language that Tim did about licking things, but like they helped Trump. They built the permission structure for Trump and I disdain them. And Chris Sununu is even worse because the more he's normal and good and 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 has been a good governor and would probably make an excellent president. And for him to say, as a means for placating base voters that would never vote for him anyway, to run a presidential campaign that it is acceptable for Donald Trump post-coup to be president again, uh, builds that permission structure further and for more normal people. And like, that's the problem in our politics. And this is where I blame politicians where you blame voters, you know? I think that that a bunch of people who aren't paying nearly as close attention as Chris Nunu and don't have nearly as good political judgment have just been told by somebody that they respect and think is normal that Donald Trump is an acceptable choice to be president again. And I hate that. That doesn't mean I wouldn't take Chris Nunu over Trump every day and twice on Sunday, because I would. Um, so, but that's the predicament that we're in. Uh, but Nate Silver asking that question as though it is not obvious why uh, we do this, you know, means that they just don't understand anything. It's all about posing, right? You know, look, in your job as uh, Republican voters against Trump, Sarah, I suspect you you were going to spend a lot of money trying to help some other Republican beat Donald Trump, right? I think all three of us are probably going to, if I don't want to speak for you guys, vote in a Republican primary for somebody who is other than Donald Trump. Like, what what more support? How do you support somebody? Those are the ways. You vote. You vote or you spend money on them. The rest of it, like, you know, in terms of, like, analyzing the world around us as it is, I'm sorry. That's We don't do propaganda, Nate. I'm very sorry about that. Does that hurt your feelings, you degenerate gambler? Can I also just pimp a uh, another newsletter of yours this week from Tuesday? Uh, you did another good newsletter yeah, this week yeah. about Joe Biden. I know it's been a long show. We're running out of time here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a really good show, Thank but you. it was a good newsletter. And I have my complaints with Joe Biden, which we've discussed in the past, and, and I'm happy to again. But, like, here he is. He's the president. And everyone in his party basically wants him to like print print a coin to solve the debt limit problem. Um, and and he's like, I'm I'm gonna go work with Kevin McCarthy, who like really like doesn't deserve to to shine his shoes, like based on Kevin McCarthy's behavior. But he's gonna suck it up, maybe a little later than he should have. And he's going to sit there with Kevin McCarthy and try to come up with a reasonable deal that maybe the Republican caucus will sink. We don't know yet. We'll see. But, but they're discussing a pretty reasonable deal about, about flat making spending flat or maybe dropping it 0.5% from, from last year's spending baseline, you know, something that, that certain interest groups on the left won't like. And I'm sure there'll be certain harms that come from, you know, that. But, like, you know, you got to you gotta, you know, be reasonable uh, when it comes to budgeting. Obviously, we're spending a little too much money. Obviously, that contributed somewhat to inflation. And so he's coming to the table with a reasonable deal. And there's this like expectation that that we as never Trumpers, I don't want to speak for everybody, are supposed to like like be mad about that or like not be not be satisfied with this. Like what like Joe Biden has given 
people like who want centrist politics on the margins, like basically what they want. Like there have been things that we've disagreed with. There have been things that we'd agree with, agree with. But every time we've come to one of these crises, every time we've come to one of these big issues, he's tried to do a bipartisan thing. There have been a couple areas times where he's fallen short on that. The student loan thing comes to mind. But like most of the time, he's tried to do a bipartisan thing, tried to do a reasonable thing. And 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 when your choice is that, or people that are running up doing apologia full time for someone that tried to literally end our democracy, I, I don't I don't know what's confusing about how we're assessing those choices. Anyway, I can't wait for Nate's show on Twitter Spaces. Will be good. It's going to be great. He's got some free time on his hands after getting fired from five thirty eight. Uh, all right, guys, good show, long show. There's all sorts of other stuff we were going to talk about, but we didn't get to it. Uh, come and hang out with us tonight on YouTube at 8 p.m. in the East, where we are going to have listened to the Twitter space, and and we will talk about it and have fun with it, and everybody will be there. The whole gang is going to be like 15 people from the Bulwark. It'll be a mega cast. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Hit the hit the join button. Give us the thumbs up, because all those Tell things help. Uh, and actually... Tell a friend, we're going to be flirting around with you guys in the comments on YouTube, too, as well, if you want. And then when you're done with all that, go to thebulwark.com and uh, just sign up to get all the, the free stuff we give you in your in your inbox. It's good stuff. Does anybody want to hear a quick story about the, uh, the live show we did, which was Please. awesome in New yeah. York? So I had said on one of the podcasts about when I was at the principal's first meeting, this woman, I was at the valet, and I didn't have money to tip. I remember those. Like the valet the 10 bucks, the car. Right? Yeah, right? Okay, so that woman was at the live show. And I was like, hey, you're the woman who gave me 10 bucks. And I was immediately like, crap, I don't have 10 bucks on me. Like, I just did a live show. And so I was like, oh, man, I got to I gotta pay this woman back. And I was like saying it to sort of the, you know, how like people kind of come back. There's all these people around us talking to us. And I was like, this is the woman who gave me the 10 bucks. And like five other people reached into their pockets to hand me $10. And I was like, this is just perpetuating the cycle of you kind people, then I just owe you 10 bucks, other person I'll never find. But I just, our people, they're the best people. people. They're the best people. All right. See you guys uh, in a few hours. Bye. Bye.